Come on, how we doing, exchange? Hey, I'm so glad that you are here with us today. If we haven't met, my name is Mark. Uh, I get the opportunity uh, of serving as a college and young adult pastor as well as one of the family ministry pastors. Help me welcome everyone that's here for the first time. Come on, let's put our hands together. We're glad that you are here with us today. We're so glad you're in the room, and uh, I'm really excited to be able to preach today. And uh, I think this has been a really, really cool series, a cool collection that we've been in as we've been studying the book of Philippians in a collection called A Life Worth Living. And I'm encouraged as we get ready to jump into the message today. But I do want to tell you this. Maybe you missed a week. Uh, I want to encourage you to follow us on our podcast. We've got an exchange podcast that I think is such a helpful tool for you to tra uh, track along and stay on the journey with us as we go through our series. But not only that, I wanted to share something with you. Did you know 12,000 people in 2022 connected with us through our exchange podcast. Come on, somebody. It's amazing. It's also important you know that happened over more than, I think it was 13 countries, people listened in to one of our exchange messages. Come on, I'm telling you what, God is on the move here at the exchange, and it's such a movement of God, and I'm just encouraged to see what he's doing in our midst. And uh, over the past couple of weeks, as we've been in this book, uh, I really... I've been kind of challenged to really help you understand. I sense that God is calling us to go deeper. Since that God is calling us to lean into his word. And I've been preaching and helping you uh, on the journey better understand how to unpack scripture. And I'm going to continue in that thread today. But in week one, I preached from this idea, in chains for the gospel. In chains for the gospel. And what we learned is the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a group of Christians in a region called Philippi. He's writing a letter of encouragement. It's almost like a thank you card. And Paul, he's updating them. He's letting them know that he's right there in a prison cell in Rome writing this letter, but they should be encouraged because the gospel is being set forward like never before. And in week two, last week, our worship leader, Caroline, come on somebody, she brought such an incredible word last week. She preached on the humility of Jesus and the humility, humility that we should live with as followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we should live a life with humility. And today, uh, I'm going to preach on chapter 3. And here's what I want you to know. As we look at chapter 3, I think sometimes this is one of the more difficult chapters to really understand in the book of Philippians. And I think oftentimes when we read this chapter, so often we skip over certain parts of the text and we misunderstand what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate in the text. And when I say it's a difficult chapter to understand, I'm gonna take my time today. I wanna to really teach through this chapter. I really wanna walk through this chapter verse by verse. And I think when we think about chapter three, maybe you've read the book of Philippians, automatically we go to verses 12 and 14 that tell us to, to focus on what's heavenward. It tells us to, to forget what's behind us. But today, I, I wanna focus on the first nine verses of that chapter that I think so often we just skip over. We're gonna pick up in Philippians chapter three, verse one through nine. If you got a Bible, open it up. We're gonna go through this verse by verse and I'm gonna start off with these verses here. It says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence, somebody say no confidence. We put no confidence in human effort. 
Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have more. I'm going to skip down to verse 7. We'll cover verse 5 through 6 in a moment. It says this in verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ. Somebody say, knowing Christ. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I, I may gain Christ. Today, for the next few moments, I want to speak to you from this idea, no confidence. No confidence. Don't miss this. No confidence. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the promise that your word is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and I pray, God, that we would leave this room better than we came in, that, God, we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged, that, God, we would be refreshed. I pray that each and every word that I speak, Lord, that it would be pleasing and honorable in your sight. And, Father, I ask that you would do what only you could do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to start here. Growing up as a kid, um, one of the characteristics I would use to explain myself was confident. I believe as a child I was, I was overly confident, okay, and part of that confidence started early in my childhood because by day I would go by my name, Mark, but in the evening, it's important you understand, your boy had an alter ego. As a kid, I, I thought I was, I was a superhero. Many of you resonate with this, but my superhero, my figure, I made up this idea and I called myself Mr. Briefield. Exactly. <laughs> Called myself Mr. Briefield, referring to, to my underpants because my costume was literally nothing but me in underwear, okay? Of course, my wife's excited about that, but. Don't worry, I don't do this any longer in my home. Um, but. Mr. Briefield, it just gave me such a boost of confidence. I would run around my house and I would do all of these crazy different things. I want you to think about this. Like, I literally internally thought like I was a black Spider-Man just with no costume, okay? <laughs> so your boy would, would do the most strange, odd things that you could imagine. I would like try and scale walls and stuff and I would try and jump off of tables and my parents were like, oh, it's so cute. How I many of you know, like, it's a problem when you're, like, 10 years old still doing these things, right? <laughs> I remember one day, the brilliant idea came to mind that I would, like, try and attempt to jump off of two flights of stairs in my home. And how many of you know that was the end of an era for Mr. Refield, okay? <laughs> well, I think it's so interesting about this. And I want you to hear me on this because so many of us, I believe, will continue to experience pain, challenges, and setbacks in life if we continue to place our confidence solely in ourselves. I believe so many of us today, we've made ourselves the hero of our own story. I believe so many of us, we've placed all the attention on ourselves, making ourselves the hero of our story, which is in cause, causing us to miss out on the life that God has called us to live. And today, how many of you know it's one thing to have self-confidence, but it's of the utmost importance to have confidence in God. You see, confidence in the Greek, it, it really just means to have great trust or dependence on someone or something. 
It's to have great trust in someone or something or have a high level of dependence on someone or something. And I believe if we're going to follow Jesus, we must learn what it looks like to be fully dependent and fully confident on God. Not just in some areas of our life, but in every area of our life. If we're going to follow after Jesus, if we're going to live the life that God has called us to live, friends, we got to understand what it looks like for us to live fully dependent and fully confident in God. It's a great Christian author, uh, A.W. Tozer, who said, he says this, we must have full confidence in Jesus Christ. Our confidence rises as the character of God becomes greater and more trustworthy to our spiritual comprehension. I don't want you to miss this. He says this, I'm going to say it again. We must have full confidence in Jesus Christ. Our confidence rises as the character of God becomes greater and more trustworthy to our spiritual comprehension. What does that mean? That means as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, the more and more we begin to grow in our relationship with Jesus, the more and more we must understand what it looks like to give him our full trust to give them our full trust. And in Philippians 3, Paul, he's helping these Christians understand how to grow in their relationship with Christ in the area of confidence. He's saying, yo, your confidence, it should shift from being set on you to being set on the person of Jesus. He's saying, yo, don't be full of yourself. Don't have confidence in the flesh. Don't have confidence in your own ability, but be fully confident in the person of Jesus Christ. And I think oftentimes we miss the point that when Paul says this, he's speaking about the area of salvation. Paul, he's saying, don't be so confident in yourself that you miss out that you're in need of a savior for your life. Don't be so confident that you miss out on the fact that you are in need of saving. I'm going to read the text in verse 2. It says this. Paul says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us, and we put no confidence in human efforts, or some translations say the flesh. See, Paul, he he wrote this with the intent to help the Philippians, the church of Philippi, understand many people among them, their greatest issue is that they're overly confident in themselves. Many of these people in this day and age, they would go around and identify as followers of Jesus, but their greatest issue is they wanted the benefits of following Jesus, but they wanted to be their own savior. I just feel like this may be a problem in our generation today. So many of us, we come to church, we do the Christian things because we want the benefits of following Jesus, but at the end of the day, we leave the room calling ourselves our own hero. I don't want you to miss this, and I'm just trying to help you today. I think as I teach this text, some of you know, like, I love to preach, but today I want to help you understand what I believe God is saying to our generation we got to get the confidence. we got to get the spotlight. We've got to get the attention off of us and place it on the person of Jesus Christ. It's important you understand in this era at this time, many of these so-called Christians, many of these Jewish individuals, they would go around saying, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus. I belong to Jesus. But the problem was many of these people, they had it in their mindset that Jesus, he would come onto the scene in his first coming as this fearless leader. And Jesus, they believed that he would come and destroy all of Jesus' opposers. They believed that Jesus would come onto the scene and destroy the whole Roman Empire. 
But how many of you realize when Jesus came, he didn't come as this fearless king? In his first coming, Jesus came as a suffering servant. I just want to help you in your doctrine. I want to help you understand God's word. Because of these people, that literally led them to question if Jesus was in fact who he said he was. So these people, they arrived at this notion that yes, I may follow Jesus, but in order for me to be saved, that means Jesus plus good works. That means Jesus plus upholding the law. That means Jesus plus good doctrine. That means Jesus plus what I call Christian energy. Getting around the things of God. Playing the part. Doing the Christian-y things. And all of these people in this moment, they're saying that is the message of following Jesus. But Paul in this moment is challenging them, saying, do not fall to their wicked teachings. The only way to have a relationship with God is only Jesus. It's always been Jesus, and it's just Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus. He reassures them, our righteousness, it's, it's filthy rags. We can't work our way into heaven. It's not the gospel plus you. It is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other God. And in verse 3, Paul says, for we are the circumcision. How many of you know what circumcision is? Might have to do a demonstration. Who's up? Just kidding. You see, circumcision, it was the cutting of a, a Jewish male's foreskin. And at this time, these, these men, these, these males would do this as a sign to say, I belong to God. I, I belong to God. They would perform this custom, and many of which would do this uh, regularly, and it was seen as a ritual to do this by day eight after one was born. And this was a sign to say, I belong to to God. And Paul in this moment is saying, we are the circumcision. I don't want you to miss this. In verse 3, he says, we are the circumcision. We no longer are known as followers of Jesus by the symbolism of circumcision. We are known as followers of Jesus by how we live our lives with the power of the Holy Spirit. I just feel like so many of us today, I don't know what you know about church, I don't know what you know about Jesus, I don't know what type of religion you've grown up in, I don't know what type of doctrine you fall under, I don't know what denomination you associate yourself with, but here's what I know to be true. We don't follow Jesus by way of performing rituals. We follow Jesus by saying, Lord, you can have my life. God, I'm giving my everything to you. I'm trusting you with every aspect of my life. It's not about rituals. It's not about your ability to, to uphold the law. It's not about performing all of these practices. How many of you know religion gets tiring? And Jesus, he's, he's not worried about your ability to uphold rituals or religion. He's worried about you focusing on what it looks like to have a relationship with him. Paul says we, we've got to cut off the flesh. We've been crucified. We've crucified the flesh in our lives. He's saying, so many of you, you you've crucified the flesh, you've, you've performed circumcision, but what God is worried about is circumcision of the heart. You, you've been circumcised physically, but you're missing out on being circumcised spiritually. 
In Galatians chapter 5, it says this, Paul would say, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So friends, if we've killed the flesh and cut off the flesh and we're being led by the Spirit, it's by being led by the Spirit, people can see that there's something different in us and on us. It's not about our rituals, it's not about our religion, it's not about our ability to uphold uh, all of these different rules and regulations, it's by how we live. And I know I'm teaching today, but I just wonder, where in your life are you allowing the flesh to dictate the way you live? I know I'm teaching, I want to take my time with this message, but I just wonder today, where in your life are you allowing the flesh to dictate and dominate the course of your life? And I just kind of want you to wrestle with these questions today. I, I kind of want you to just sit and ponder these questions because I believe so many of us need to identify that thing and make a difference about that thing. We need to identify it and make a difference and cut it off. And I want you to get a grip on this truth today because so many of us, we've allowed our self-confidence and we've allowed the flesh to dictate the course of our lives. We don't truly re rely on God for direction for our life. Believe so many of us, we really struggle to understand God wants to be a part of each and every one of your days. God wants to be a part of each and every one of your decisions. God wants to be a part of your relationships. God wants to be a part of your careers. But I think so many of us, we've gotten into this rhythm of waking up and attacking each and every day and asking God to join us after we've failed. I think so many of us, we're trying to build our lives in reverse. We, we want to invite God into the picture after we failed and there's nothing wrong with that god is a god of grace god is a god of mercy but can i tell you today maybe if you invited god on the front end you would maybe spare yourself some failure some pain some heartache some heartbreak some setbacks some challenges but you got to be proactive in your faith i think god is looking at a generation saying stop being reactive and start living proactive don't wait to invite him in. Don't wait to invite him in. He wants in now. I think so many of us, we, we fall into this rhythm of relying more and more on ourselves and less and less on God. We, we got so much confidence in ourselves. And we rely less and less on God. And how many of you know, this is one of the ways the enemy wants to entrap you. This is one of the ways the enemy wants to keep you from living the life that God has for you in this life. And I think so many of us today, we find ourselves in this battle. And this battle is what we call in the church spiritual warfare. Because the enemy, each and every day, what he wants you to do is get up and put your attention on anything other than God. So many of us think the win for the enemy is for us to wake up and start worshiping the enemy. But the win for the enemy is for you to worship or focus or be confident or dependent on anything other than God. And so many of us, we need to live with a heightened awareness of the traps of the enemy, the schemes of the enemy, because he's after you 24-7. And just like the enemy's after us 24-7, so many of us, Instead of being after God 24-7, spending time in God's word 24-7, praying actively 24-7, we're just flipping about our relationship with God. 
You got an enemy that's after you 24 hours, seven days a week. And some of you, you can't even carve out an hour of your week to spend with God. I know I'm preaching kind of heavy. I know I'm really trying to challenge some of you today, but can I pastor you? Can I help you? Can I help you understand the life that God is calling you to live? See, so many of us, we're living in the realm of the flesh, and in Romans chapter 8, the apostle Paul would say, it's the flesh that is hostile to God. The, host, the, the, the flesh, it's an enemy of God. God doesn't bless us when we live in the realm of the flesh. So what do we need to do? We need to start living in the realm of the Spirit. We need to be people that are filled by the Holy Spirit, living with the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's important you recognize today there is a battle. And so many of us, we've fallen into the battle, not because we put our confidence in the enemy, not because we've fallen necessarily to the schemes of the enemy, but we've placed our confidence on the wrong person. We've placed our confidence and our dependence on our own ability. When I think about this text, I, I know that the Apostle Paul, he's speaking on the basis of salvation. He's speaking of don't be dependent, don't be confident in your own ability that leads to salvation. But what we have to accept is so many of us, not only are we maybe drifting from the idea or the life that God has called us to live that leads to salvation or responding to the call of salvation, but many of us, we are confident on our own ability in our day-to-day -day life that's leading us astray. Shows up in our relationships, shows up in the things that we look at, the places we go, the spaces we go, the people we entertain in our life. And slowly, this happens gradually, the enemy, he, he starts pulling you away from the life that God has called you to live. I'm just trying to help you understand today, God's calling us to live a life that's fully dependent and fully confident in him. But I don't want you to miss this. Because as the pastor of this ministry, I, I see this far too often. I, I see this way too often in life. I, I meet with a lot of young adults throughout the week, and quite often, uh, a lot of my, my meetings or times with young adults, it, it turns into, man, Pastor Mark, I'm experiencing challenge or pain or some setbacks or opposition, or I'm walking through this difficult time, and I don't feel like there's any way out. So many of us, we find ourselves in this place where it just feels like we're experiencing hardship and suffering and turmoil and pain in this life. And I would submit to you, maybe it's because you're not fully surrendered to God. Maybe it's because you really haven't made him Lord over all of your life. And I just wonder today, how different would life be if instead of being reactive, we were proactive in our faith? How different would life be? See, Paul in verse 3, I'm going to read it, says, Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for such confidence in their own efforts, I have more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable but I now consider them worthless. Somebody say worthless. Because of what Christ Jesus has done for me. Have you ever met someone that just loves to flex? 
love seeing people just look at each other and that's you. See, Paul in this moment kind of does like a little slight flex. He names off seven different accomplishments, seven different accolades in his life. And he says, these should be reasons why I put confidence in myself. I think so often we, we miss what Paul is communicating when we read these seven different things that he's explained. I want to walk you through this real quick. It's important we understand Paul, he gives these seven reasons as to why he could place his confidence in himself. And he says, I was circumcised at eight days old. And for Paul, this means his parents were believers. His parents dedicated him to God. He says, uh, I was a people of Israel. And the people of Israel, they were the chosen people of God. They were the people that God had shown favor to. He says, I'm a Pharisee. Which means, Paul, he had a full understanding of the Old Testament. He knew the ins and outs of the law. He says, I come from good stock. I have a lot of life experience. I'm a religious man and a good person. I never missed a church service. I never listened to rap music. And I've never watched Love is Blind. <laughs> but Paul, he, he had all these great achievements and accolades in his life. But look at what verse 7 says. He says, I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. I'm going to read that again. He says, I once thought all of these achievements, all of these accolades, all of these things that I had going for me, I thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. You see, Paul, he had all of these achievements and accolades that he names off, but it's so easy for us to miss what he's trying to communicate to the church of Philippi. You see, when we read Philippians chapter 3, I mentioned it on the front end, but many of us, we automatically go to verse 13 where Paul says, I focus on this one thing. I focus on moving ahead and forgetting what is behind me. And many of us, when we read this text, what we assume and associate this to is that Paul is telling us we need to forget about the bad things in life. But I want to just challenge you, and I want to help you. We call this the interpretation of Scripture, hermeneutics. I want to help you with your interpretation of Scripture, because I would submit this thought to you that Paul isn't necessarily saying that we need to leave behind the bad things as much as we leave behind the good things in life. Because Paul, he, I, when I read this text, I get three different ideas as to why Paul says we need to forget some of the good things in life, too. Paul's saying, Church of Philippi, I believe you should leave behind some of the good things in this life because Paul knows our greatest achievements and successes pale in comparison to what we'll experience in heaven. He says, don't dwell on this. So many of us today, we're, we're striving to live our best life here on earth. I know I preach this quite often, but can I submit this thought? You don't get your best life on this side of the cross. It happens on the other side of the cross. So we don't strive for our best life. Sure, we want to enjoy life. Sure, we want to take life in. But we don't strive for our best life on this side of the cross. There's something greater in heaven. Paul also instructs us to leave behind some of the good things in life because he says when we constantly illuminate our success and achievements as a believer, our greatest temptation is to create an idol of ourselves. I don't want you to miss this. I'm going to say that again. He says, I want you to focus on leaving behind some of the good things in life 
Because when we constantly illuminate our successes and achievements, as a follower of Jesus, our temptation becomes that we would make an idol of ourselves. And so many of us today, we're pompous at heart. On the outside, we're, we're busy doing the Christian service, but on the inside, we are full of ourselves. And how many of you know, God judges the heart, not the actions. He judges the heart. He sees the heart. He sees the motives. Third reason, I believe Paul says this is, Paul knows it's when we continuously focus on our successes, it becomes the easiest way to put more trust in ourselves than we do so God. It becomes super easy for us to start putting all of our stock and all of our trust in ourselves and our own ability rather than God's sovereignty. And as I close, I just want to leave you with this. I suppose our big takeaway when we read this text in Philippians chapter 3, it should lead us to a question. Who have I placed my confidence in? What have I placed my confidence in? If you're a follower of Jesus, I would challenge you. Are you truly dependent on God? in every area of your life. Not just in some areas, but in every area of your life. He wants to be in on every area of your life. I want you to hear me on this because salvation, it was the biggest thing that these people struggled to put their trust in Jesus for. But could you imagine if it was the big thing of salvation, how challenging and difficult it was for them to trust God with the little things. I believe this is so relevant for our generation. I believe this is so relevant today for each and every one of us because I believe so many of us, maybe we do struggle to trust God when it comes to salvation. But so many of us, we struggle to trust God in the area of our relationships, in the area of our finances. We struggle to trust God when it comes to family conflict. Maybe you struggle to trust God when it comes to your sexuality. Maybe you struggle to trust God when it comes to maybe your mental health or physical health. I've been there before. As a pastor, I, I shared a couple weeks ago, man, I remember seeing my sister go through a difficult season of suffering in her physical health, and I remember being challenged in my faith to say, God, why? But that wasn't a moment for me to shrink back in my faith. That was a moment for me to lean in and be confident that God would do what only he could do. Do you trust him? Have you put your confidence in him? And I believe when it comes to this idea of confidence, we can't be selective about what we trust God with in our life. I believe there's only one of two options. He's either Lord of all in your life or you haven't trusted him to be Lord at all in your life. There's only one of two options that he's either Lord of every area, every aspect, every part of my life or I haven't trusted him to be Lord at all in my life. We can't be selective in what we give over to Jesus. And I wanna close with this in verse eight and nine. It's going to be the last portion of scripture that we cover. Paul says this, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness 
though obeying the law, rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. See, I'm passionate about this exchange because I believe in the church at large today, we have a problem. I believe one of our greatest challenges in the church at large, not a Grace Family Church thing, not an exchange thing, but the church across the nation, I believe one of our greatest issues is that we have a misunderstanding as to what it means to truly know Jesus. Now, I want you to hear me on this because I believe many of us are misled. We believe following Jesus or knowing Jesus means that I have good doctrine, that I know the ins and outs of God's word, that I know God's word from cover to cover. I understand the Christian beliefs. I understand the premise of the Bible. Many of us today, we, we believe that we know Jesus or we're actively walking with Jesus because we have good doctrine. But can I tell you this? You cannot know Jesus without doctrine, but you can know doctrine without knowing Jesus. Think about the Pharisees. These are people who knew the whole law, the whole Old Testament, and Jesus, he still would call them out and say, I think you still have something missing. So many of us today, maybe it's not good doctrine that we have, but Maybe for us today, we believe we belong to Jesus and we've built our relationship on our good moral performance. If I could just behave like a Christian, if I could just act like a Christian, if I could just do these things right, then I must be secure with God. Can I tell you today, it's not your good moral performance that makes you right with God. The last thing I would say to you today, maybe you believe you're secure with God because you have what I call good Christian energy. You're around the things of God, you're serving on a team, you come to church, you're all about doing the Serve Saturdays, you're all about getting around groups and Christian people that are gonna challenge you in your faith, and I'm not beating you down, I'm telling you, that's a great start, but can I tell you today, that doesn't mean that you're secure with Christ. You could be around the things of God, but not truly know God. As I close, I wanna leave you with this thought today. It's when we know Jesus as Lord, we have an increased desire to more, know more of his word, to obey his commands and help build his kingdom. As I close, I think about this story of a woman. She was married to a, a great theologian, a great preacher. His name is Paul Washer. I'm not sure if you've heard of his name, but Paul Washer, uh, he was a famous missionary that traveled the world preaching the gospel. And his wife, um, they were married about 12 years into their marriage, actually, she was, grew up in the church, and she grew up around the things of God. She went to a Christian school as a kid. Her family was devout Christians, devout followers of Jesus. And uh, Paul's wife, her name was Chero, her whole life, she was sold out to do the work of the gospel, the work of the ministry. And when she had met Paul, she was 20 years old, and they got married at the age of 21. And they quickly shifted into traveling the world at large, and they were going to Asia and Australia, preaching the gospel, preaching to masses, millions of people. And after doing that for 12 years, they found themselves one day in San Antonio, Texas. And her husband, Paul, he was up there preaching the gospel one day. And as he went to go preach the gospel and invite people to come to the altar, to step into a relationship with Jesus, he presented the gospel, and the one person in the room that he was sure knew Jesus, who was his wife, she was the first one to the altar, weeping and sobbing, saying, I thought that I knew him. I thought that I knew him. 
I thought that I knew him as Lord over my life, but he isn't Lord over my life. And I need to be made right with him today. I would submit this thought to you today. I'm not asking, do you know of him? I'm asking, do you know him as Lord and Savior of your life? See, when I know Jesus, I've made him the ultimate authority in my life. I've died to myself, and I've set my life in him. I want to pray for us today. Maybe the simple application for this message for you today is, you say, man, Mark, I I know Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm sold out for him. Maybe the application for you is to simply continue to grow in your knowledge of his word and his truth to make it a lifestyle, to make it a habit, to spend time with God daily. Maybe you're in the room today and the step that you need to take is if you've been in a relationship with Jesus, I would ask you, does your life look like that of someone who's been changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe for you, you're in the room and you're saying, I know Jesus, I love Jesus. I would ask you the question, are you living your life on mission, sharing the hope and the message of Jesus Christ with others? Are you serving? Are you making a difference? If that's you and you're saying, I know Jesus, but I haven't taken any of those steps, I just want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for each and every person in this room. I thank you, Lord, that when we are weak, God, you make us strong. I thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you give us an opportunity to know you more on a daily basis through your word. And I pray, God, that today we would be challenged to know more of you, to lean into you, to grow in our relationship with you. As we continue praying today, maybe you're in the room today and you're saying, my whole life I grew up around the things of God, or maybe this is your first time walking into a church gathering. And you're saying, I'm hearing about this Jesus. I just want you to know, Jesus, he came. He lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And he died on a cross, not just a cross, but our cross. So we could have relationship with God, the Father. Sin separates us from God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If you're saying, I want a relationship with Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to maybe do the most bold thing that you could ever do. Nobody's looking, every head bowed, every eye closed all across the room. If you're saying, I want a relationship with him, just raise your hand. I believe today's the day of salvation for someone, hands going up all across the room. I wanna pray for you. In fact, let's pray this prayer as a community, as a people today. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Would you forgive me of my sin? Lord, would you wash me clean? I know I've made mistakes, but I know that you sent your son to die on a cross for my sin. For this day forward, I want to live a life that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.